Good morning. How is everybody? Man, it's so good to be here. So good to see all of you. Um, it's good to be standing here. I don't know how many of you know kind of what had been going on in, in our lives. Um, but just in April, I had a heart attack. And I know many of you were praying for me. And I want to just say thank you for that. Thank you for all the prayers that you've had for our family. Um, one thing's for sure, when you step out uh, in faith... And you go follow what the Lord wants you to do, the enemy's coming to attack. And man, he's attacked us over and over again, but we are not deterred. Um, we've, you know, we've been robbed three times. Uh, you know, we have our, our son with special needs has gone through a lot of troubles. Our other uh, daughter has had a lot of medical problems, but we did get a diagnosis this year of spina bifida, occulta. Uh, and hopefully we're on the right path with that, but it's been illness, sickness, robbing, you, you know, our engine breakdowns. It's just been one thing after another, but God just keeps us going, right? God just keeps us going in the right path because, hey, that's what he's called us to do, right? It's not going to be an easy life, but it's going to be one filled with joy because he's going to be there with us, right? Um, so, guys, this is my family. Um, uh, those that don't know, uh, my wife, Joelle, she's right here. Um, my oldest daughter is Montana, and uh, she just got married. And uh, my second daughter is Sienna, which you guys know. You've got a prayer card sitting right beside our prayer cards for her because she's uh, in, uh, serving in Portugal right now with Word of Life and, uh, and doing well. And, um, and then our third daughter is Fiona, and she just graduated from high school. And, um, and then we have Dylan, who's here with us today, and Nadia as well. Um, Fiona and Nadia are, are, are visiting our, at Hales Chapel um, with some friends over there today. So thank you guys for having us. Um, we uh, want to just thank you for everything that you've done for us um, over the years and continue to do, and especially for your prayers. We are home right now on kind of a little bit of a furlough. All right, we're kind of, we're going to do a little bit of a, a home time right now and a little bit in another year. The main reason it was that our, our daughter Montana, like I said, just got married. And so we had to come home for that. I mean, you know, you got to do that, right? No, it was a blessing. And uh, we are uh, very pleased uh, with her beau. Um, only problem is, is he's like this tall. And so it's kind of hard to look up to your son-in-law, but, you know, that's what we do. Um, and then also, uh, here's a picture of Sienna in Portugal. She was able to come home for the wedding, so that's just that was a blessing to have us all together uh, before we married one off, right? Um, and then uh, we were able to have a, a graduation ceremony for Fiona while everybody was in town. So that was just a great thing for us as a family. And um, it's not in this slide presentation, but... We're hitting all the like life moments while we're here, it seems like, and we just, my grandmother just passed away um, this past week, and we had her funeral on Friday, and so it was just a blessing for us to be able to be here and to participate in that and for me to be able to see her in her last moments. Um, so that was a blessing that we were able to do, and God just did that for us, you know. I, I call that a wink from God for him to be able to let us to be here, let us be here for that. Um, but for those that don't know, or just a reminder, our ministry is called 
uh, breaking chains and making disciples, right? Breaking chains and making disciples. And I'd like to kind of break that down a little bit today, and we're going to do a little bit of telling you what we've been doing and what's been going on, but really what's on my heart is just to kind of encourage all of you to make disciples, all right? That, that's, that's my real goal right now. I, I want to share with you what we're doing, but more than anything, I just want to get the gospel out there. I want to get people making disciples. So, um, so that's a little bit what we're going to focus on today, a little bit of, uh, of what we've been doing, but then uh, we're going to finish up with, with a study in the Bible. So in making, breaking chains and making disciples, uh, we're in Ecuador. It's in South America, in between Peru and Colombia, right on the equator, and we're in Loja, which is the very southern province of Ecuador, and it's, we're at about seven, 8,000 feet up. So it's beautiful weather, year-round. Come join us. We need help. You don't have to wear, bring your winter coat. You don't have to bring your shorts. You're all good. So just come on. We don't even have air condition or heat. So just a plug because we need help. We need laborers, right? Um, and, uh, but we're there, and, and the, uh, Ecuador is 95% Roman Catholic. Uh, really relying on their own tradition uh, and their works in order to get them in heaven. Uh, what that looks like a lot of times is uh, worshiping and, um, and venerating Mary. They have a, a local statue called the Virgin del Cisne that they uh, uh, move between two cities uh, twice a year, and there's a huge procession that follows this statue with the hope of getting some kind of a blessing or a, um, a protection. Um, really, it's just kind of putting Mary, putting the statue in place of Jesus. And so this is what we are, are dealing with. And, um, and this, on this route where they, uh, it's a three-day trip, we actually bought a house on that route. And so we... Uh, are right there, have a front row seat to what goes on. And not only does it happen uh, twice a year, but there's individual pilgrimages that happen all the time as well. And so there's always somebody walking by the house um, with an opportunity to talk. Um, these, I'm going to show you a few pictures of this past year of the procession. We finally were able to have the procession this year after a couple of years of COVID. But during COVID, they, uh, they put this statue in the military helicopter and flew around in all of the neighborhoods, and they asked people, they had it on the radio telling them what neighborhood they would be in next. And so people would run to the roof with a flag, and so that they would receive their blessing when the, uh, when the helicopter flew by. Um, so it's a big deal in this area. You'll see posters of it everywhere you go, um, and there's, there's all kinds of, of statues that people are looking for protection as they as they go along, because if they have one blessed object, then you'll have another blessed object, and just trying to go from one to the next. This happens to be right outside of our house. Um, they were having a mass just next door, so there were vendors that were set up and uh, selling food and clothes or food and hats because the sun is really hot and intense. Um, drinks, you you name it, different vendors were out there, and uh, and one guy asked me if he could set up in my driveway. I don't think he knew what he was getting into um, by setting up in my driveway because 
I was able to just sit there with him and just share the gospel with him um, and find out why he believes what he believes. Um, he's a, a good guy, not ready to make a decision, but he's coming back this year. So I told him to please come back and use my, my driveway again next year when you come. So we'll see what happens with that. That's going to be happening later in August. Uh, August 23rd, I believe, is when uh, he's coming through this time. Uh, we also have various other uh, images. This happens to be some of, of baby Jesus that they will put in different. And, and just to give you a sense, it's about this size right here. Um, that they'll put in, in different businesses or homes or whatever uh, just to add protection to that building or, or their, their house, their family, those kinds of locations, and dress them in, in different um, outfits for whatever section of society they are, or like a, the police or um, a different tribe or that sort of thing. Um, so those are the problems, right? Um, because people don't understand the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so we want to break those chains, right? We want to see God break those chains of sin, of shame, of hopelessness, of tradition, of spiritual strongholds in the area. Those are the things that we want to see God do. And we, I just want to share a story of how God has worked uh, in the life of one young lady this year. Um, this young lady, her name is Monica, all right? Monica um, came to faith by listening to the radio, so there's a, a Christian radio uh, with some fellow missionaries that are um, putting out the word on the radio. And so she came to faith that way and started reading her Bible. And it's amazing. She could not be quiet, right? She couldn't be quiet about her faith. And she found us when we came to her neighborhood with a program and she found community because she didn't know anyone else that was a believer. And so when we came to her community, we had just planted a church in that area. And so she started coming and growing and discipling with us. But then she came to us very quickly and said, we, I got a problem and I don't know how to solve it. Her problem was this. She couldn't be quiet about her faith. And she was still living at home with her dad. And she would come home and she'd say, Dad, have you read this? Did you know that Jesus did this for me. Did you know this? And he didn't want it. It was completely against his tradition, what he was always been. He didn't want to. He was like, I don't want to hear it anymore. And so he told her, finally, you don't bring that Bible in this house. You don't talk to me about Jesus anymore. Or you can leave. That was her choice. Man, what a bad, hard choice that is, Right? And so she was torn. She came to us and said, I don't know what to do. So we started praying. We said, well, we don't know what to do either. All we know what to do is to pray and to ask God to give you a solution because we don't have the solution to this. So we began praying. And within two weeks, this is how God works, and I'm just amazed at how he does it. Within two weeks, we got a phone call from uh, a guy that, that knew Pastor Santiago, who I work with all the time. He's my partner. And, um, and Santiago received this phone call from a family that lives two blocks away from our other church plant, the main church plant we work out of. They live two blocks away, and they are away in Spain, and their two girls are there in Ecuador with a nanny who just up and quit. And they needed a nanny immediately. 
to come and live in their house and take care of their girls. And so they talked, and God provided. She had a job. She had a place to live. She was two blocks away from, from our church, so she be, came there and was, started getting more discipled. She brought the two girls there to the church every time, and, and they're growing in their knowledge of the Lord. And even their abuelita, their grandmother, started coming to the church. I mean, it's just, those are things that we can't orchestrate ourselves. Only God can do those things, right? And so those are the chains that we want to see broken, and we want to see them grow in, in that way. Um, so that's just one of the, the more recent stories of, of what's gone on. The second part of our ministry that we call is making disciples, right? And the way we make disciples in our ministry is we're through planning churches. That's sort of the overarching thing that we're doing is we're involved in planning churches. But that's kind of a broad term. And so you've got to kind of unpack that. And we do lots of different things in the hopes of planning more churches, right? Um, so we're raising up different leaders within the church plants uh, as we're strengthening those church plants. Um, we are teaching discipleship, and, uh, and we're reaching our communities through various means. Um, one of the means that we do is through Operation Christmas Child Shoebox Distribution. Um, the church that we work with is a distribution center for all of southern Ecuador, and so um, we get the chance to take all of these wonderful shoeboxes and distribute them to, to kids throughout all southern Ecuador, me along with Many, many, many other pastors in the area. Uh, I think this past year we had a tractor trailer and a half, about 8,000 shoeboxes that came to us. And so that's 8,000 kids that received the gospel for the first time. Um, here's just a few pictures of what we did this past year. The other thing that we've been doing is teaching English. Never is one of those things we thought we would be doing, um, but God opened those doors. People want to, hit, to learn English, and so we're in the community teaching English. Joel uh, is also teaching a, uh, a class in the church um, using the book of Mark as uh, our material, and it has been a wonderful example of, or a wonderful way of reaching out into the community and being able to share the gospel. Um, we, we have not been shy at all about it's Bible stories the way we're going to learn English, right? And so uh, it's been a blessing to be a part of that and to be accepted in the community through that. Um, here's a picture of Joel teaching English to the youth. And Joel has also been involved in reviving the women's ministry within uh, our uh, church plant that we've been working on. She, the, the lady in red right there, um, that's Rocio, that's Pastor Santiago's wife. And so together, Joel and Rocio have been uh, pouring into the women, into the church, and really growing that women's ministry as well. It's, it's, it's in its infancy right now, but uh, we have seen some growth and trying to really explain to a lot of the women who have come relying on the faith of their husband um, that it's a personal walk that they need. It's, they're not going to get to heaven. Salvation isn't going to come just because you're on the arm of your husband. Um, and so that's one of the things that they are doing in their discipleship with the women's ministry. Um, and also, we're doing drama. We, we were raised, uh, well, we were not raised, but we, we met doing professional theater. And so drama has always been a part of what we do, love to do. 
And, uh, and so we, that's just how we get out into the community and, and raise awareness. This happened to be from this past Christmas when we were doing our program. And it was through one of these programs that Monica found us uh, when, because we would take them into the, the parks in different cities and, uh, and, and share um, testimonies. And that was one of the amazing things was here it's, it's very difficult for some people to really share their faith with others because of the ridicule, because of things like Monica dealt with. Um, and so for our brothers and sisters to stand up publicly in a park with a microphone and tell their testimony to everybody else was a huge deal. I didn't realize how huge of a deal it was until I asked them to do it. And I could visibly see the fear on their face. Um, but we encouraged them. They did it. And it was just an amazing time. And, and I feel, it's kind of hard to put in the words, but I feel a tide turning in the community. It's just kind of a sense of people are starting to accept us a little bit more. They know we're not going anywhere, I guess, is part of it. Um, but also, you know, we're showing love to them, and that's what we're supposed to do, is to show love as Christ um, loves. And so drama is part of that. And as Dallas was telling me this morning, uh, the one, one pastor told him that, um, uh, that sermons can be very long, and sometimes you might need an intermission. So uh, I'm just telling you right now, I, I, I'm a long talker. I'm sorry. And so with our, with our theater background, maybe we will have to have an intermission, but um, I'm, I'm hoping not. Uh, the other thing is that we, uh, we host U.S. teams. We've been helping with, with different teams that have come for uh, different medical reasons, uh, for eyes or um, just a general health checkup. Uh, we also had a team from the, the mountains of North Carolina that came to help us with some construction projects and some VBS and uh, movie nights and sharing testimonies and, and the gospel in our different communities. Uh, so this is just a plug. Get a group together. Come help us. Um, and, and stay tuned because we have a, a new program that we're working on right now that I'm not quite ready to talk all about it, but very soon I'm going to be putting it out there. But it is a, a great program of meeting people in the community, discipling them, telling them your testimony, inviting them to... Uh, uh, to someone's house in the community and really sharing one-on-one. And this is a great way for small teams, like, uh, you know, th- three to five people coming all at once, uh, coming without a, having to have a huge team to come and do something like with, with kids or anything like that. But if three or five people want to come, it's a perfect way to really get in and share the gospel in the community. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about was we we uh, we also involved in Bible distribution. We want to make sure that everybody gets a Bible, um, and we do that the best way we can. Um, it's hard for us to get um, packages in Ecuador. There is no um, uh, postal service. There is, and it's very hard to get packages that don't. The government doesn't want an arm and a leg to import them. So. Um, the best thing for us to do with the Bibles is just to buy them in country, and so I look for deals all the time and, and buy what we can. But the main thing we're doing, of course, is planning churches, getting into different communities. Um, this particular church is called Kasanga. Um, we were asked to take over this church. It was an existing church that the pastor was having health problems, and so um, he asked if we could come and take it over because there's a, such a lack of 
leadership, lack of trained leaders uh, to be able to take over. And so we have seen many, many churches, well, maybe not many, many, but many churches in the area that were started years and years ago but abandoned because when one person left, there was no one left to take it over. And then, and they weren't never discipled, never trained to be able to, uh, to continue that church. And so we took over this church in Kasanga. Now, this church is an hour and a half away from our main church plant in Katamayo. Um, but when we got there, we found out that we thought we had a long journey. No, the people who are, were attending there, there were some of them that were walking two and a half hours just to get to church every day. Some of them even having to cross rivers. They would take their shoes and socks off, hike up their pants, walk through the river, get to the other side and put them back on and continue to walk. Um, if they could get a ride, they would, but most of it was walking. And so we were impressed. We were impressed with their faith. I mean, how many people will we see here in the U.S. that would willingly do that every day? Not only willingly, but happily do that every, every Sunday. Um, so what we decided is, is we wanted to help them out. Uh, first of all, I just started driving and picking up a bunch of them. And so, you know, we had a car. We would have, that's our, that's our car right there. And we've had up to 12 people stacked in that car all at one time. I've thought about putting people on the roof, but I know that wouldn't be so safe. But, <laughs> but I keep asking, is there any way that I can get a four-wheel drive bus? Because that's what I really want, but I haven't found it yet. <laughs> um, but, so if anybody knows how to turn a bus into four-wheel drive, come talk to me. Um, but anyway, uh, so I started doing that, and, uh, and then we started taking Bible studies to where they were. Um, if they're going to come to us, we're also going to go to them. And so we started taking Bible studies to where they were, and out of that, um, God was just sort of leading us to plant a church in one of those areas. Uh, this is uh, Diego's house. It's like a 10 by 10 room. That is all of his house, but he opened it up for our Bible study, and this is where our church at Laura Guerrero began. Um, here's uh, another group that we were meeting with, and this is on Diego's porch in Laura Guerrero. And so it was just amazing that God was opening that door in Laura Guerrero for us. And this is a very rural, very uh, uh, close-knit community with the central square, just like most of them, with the huge Catholic church right there. And so the presence of, of uh, the Catholic church is huge in this area. And many of these brothers and sisters are very nervous about sharing their faith. They were very nervous about having a sign up anywhere. Um, but we kept praying about it and said, you know what, we need our own space. We need a space. We need to let everybody know, hey, this is where we're going to be. Um, and we love you all. And so we started praying and trying to look for a place. The only problem was, was that no one wanted to rent to us. Every time we would ask somebody, they would get interested in the beginning until we told them exactly what we were doing. And then somehow the, either the price went up or it became unavailable. And, you know, these, these guys, they don't make a whole lot of money. They're, they're you know, small-time farmers, or they sell whatever they can. Um, they, they don't have any sort of day job that they go to all the time. Eighty percent of the people in Ecuador do not have a weekly paycheck from anywhere. They, they make what they can make um, by selling stuff or, um, or, or working as a, it's a trade or something like that. Um, but there's, there's very little business or very little industry. It's mostly everybody's 
taking care of themselves. Um, and so these guys didn't have a whole lot of money. But God was good. We finally found a place that a guy doesn't live there anymore. And he said, hey, this house is kind of falling apart. But if you want it, I'll, I'll let you have this house for $30 a month. And that includes utilities. So we can't beat that, right? And on top of it, he said, and I don't care what you do to it, as long as I don't have to pay for it. So, <laughs> so we were able to put up our sign. We were able to start painting and, you know, doing some repairs on it. Um, and that we're still in the process of that. So if you'd like to come help us with that, please let me know. Um, this, this piece of property is for sale. He was hoping we would buy it. I wouldn't buy it for nothing. <laughs> but, um, but we are, we, would, we hope at some point to buy a piece of land and actually uh, build a small church in this area one of these days. That's, that's what we're praying for right now. Anyway, that's our church in Lara Guerrero. Um, but what we did find is with all of this um, nervousness among the brothers, that they really had never been discipled whatsoever. Um, very much babes in the faith. Um, the pastor that they had was not very well trained. Um, and they had never felt like they could study the Bible for themselves. And it comes partly from that Catholic tradition where only the priest can, uh, you know, can, uh, can interpret the message, can, can share the message. And so they had that idea that we either need a, a pastor or a missionary or somebody else to come in and tell us what it says. And if they can't tell us what it says, then we can't do anything. And so we quickly learned that we needed to change that, right? Because also we were... Now, Laura Guerrero is um, another 20 minutes away from uh, where Kasanga is. From where I live, it's two and a half hours um, one way. And so we can't always get there, especially when we have car trouble or we have health problems <clears throat> or there's landslides that we have to deal with because, oof, let me tell you, landslide season can be tough. Um, we'll have rocks in the road, fog, and cows in the middle of the road all at the same time. And, and when you're driving back at 11 o'clock at night, seeing a cow in the middle of the road will scare you to death. You get close to Jesus at that moment, let me tell you. <clears throat> um, but, so there's times we can't get there. And, and every time we would ask them, hey, would you meet? Would you study the Bible? They never would. You know, it's like, just, just gather together and pray. They didn't even feel like they could do that. And so, um, so we began discipleship classes, and that's really kind of where God has been leading me right now, and, and I think sort of pointing uh, our, our ministry at the moment. And so I want to share with you what I share with them and what we're studying with them, because it's not just for them. It's for us. It's for every Christian anywhere in the world. We all need to know what it is to be a disciple how we make disciples, right? So, uh, started putting together this class, just basic discipleship class, and I'd like to go through a lot of those points with you today. So, it's based on 2 Timothy 2.2, 2 Timothy 2.2, which just says, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. So, we find those brothers and sisters who are reliable, trustworthy, right? That's what we're all, as Christians, we should be reliable and trustworthy, right? And then 
we qualify them to teach others. That's, that's what it is to be a disciple. So I want to go through and look at four basic tasks of a disciple. And the way we're going to do that is, is we're going to look at the example of Jesus first. All right? If we're going to be disciples of Jesus, then we should do what Jesus did. Right? So the first uh, passage we're going to look at, all of the passages we're going to be in, is going to be in Mark. So if you want to turn to your uh, Mark in your Bible, um, and then we will just kind of hop around a little bit in Mark. Oh, sorry, Matthew. Oh. Y'all forgive me, my brain sometimes don't work. All right, so Matthew 4. I had Mark on the teaching English part in my brain. All right, so Matthew 4. This is where Jesus begins his ministry. All right, when Jesus begins his ministry, and it says here, Matthew 4, 12 through 17. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And then 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So if we're going to look at what are the basic disciples, uh, tasks of a disciple, looking at Jesus' uh, example here, the first thing we see that Jesus did if you look at that, as it says, and he, and leaving Nazareth, he went. Leaving Nazareth, he went. So the first thing we see is that Jesus didn't stay in one place, right? He went somewhere, right? So if we're going to follow Jesus' example, we need to go. We need to go, all right? We'll look later about where we're supposed to go. But right now we know we're supposed to go, um, all right? And the second thing we see at the very end on there is it says Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So looking at that, the first two tasks of a disciple, number one we're going to say is leave the house, leave the house, right? And the second thing we're going to say is announce the good news of the arrival of the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, okay? Um. So now we're going to look at Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And it says here, and Jesus, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Okay? Um, So what I'd like to point out is the first part of this passage right here. The first thing we see is it says that Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages. Right? So again, we see... That he, he went, he left, right? He left the house. The second thing we see is that he was proclaiming or teaching in the synagogues. Teaching in the synagogues. 
And then it says that he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And then healing every disease and every affliction. All right? So those are the things that we see that Jesus was doing, right? That he went, he taught, he proclaimed, um, he, and he healed, right? So those four basic tasks are leave the house, announce the good news of the arrival of the kingdom of God, heal the sick, and teach believers or make disciples, okay? So these are our four basic tasks of discipleship. We're going to unpack these in just a minute. But we first looked at the example of Jesus. Now I'd like to look at what Jesus told us we are supposed to do. Okay? So Matthew 10. Matthew 10, verses 5 through 8. This is when Jesus is sending out the 12 apostles. All right, he's gathered his apostles, get apostles together, and he sends them out to do the work that he's called them to do. And it says, Jesus sent out these twelve, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, you receive without pay, (coughs) give without pay. Excuse me. (laughs) So here... We find something interesting in the beginning that Jesus tells them to go nowhere, right? Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. A lot of times we don't think about God telling us not to go somewhere. We always think, yeah, okay, we need to do what God's calling us to do. Well, the thing is we got to know what God's calling us to do. And we got to go where he's opening the doors, right? And so like what we did in Kasanga. Kasanga is an hour and a half away from our church plant. And Laura Guerrero is even further. But those are the doors that God opened for us. These are where he told us to go first, right? And from there, God opens more doors. One thing uh, I'll share with you later, how God opens another door from from that, because this is some exciting news, and I'm going to wait until a little bit later to tell you that one. All right, but anyway, um, so go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So it's start right around, right? Start with the people you know. Start with your family. Start with everyone that's in your community. And then later on, he's going to tell us to go out further, right? So um, first thing is go, and the second thing is is proclaim as you go, right? Proclaim as you go. What are you to, to proclaim? The kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? And then it says, heal the sick, raise the dead, Cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, you receive without pay, give without pay. And so here he tells them to heal the sick. But what kind of sickness is he talking about? It's not just physical sickness. It's mental sickness, spiritual sickness. It, it's even situational sickness. It's, it's all the problems that, that people deal with, right? Those are what he sent us out to help heal, right? So... Um, So those four basic tasks, again, we see them right here. The same ones. Leave the house. Announce the good news of the arrival of the kingdom of God. Heal the sick. And teach believers or make disciples. We see all of that in that text. All right, now we go to the Great Commission. Hopefully we all know this one. Great Commission says, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. 28, 18 through 20. 
The risen Jesus is giving his last words to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. And you know, those last words are always important, right? Uh, spending those last few moments with my grandmother was, a, was just a special time to know uh, her heart, right? And this is right here, Jesus is telling this is what his heart is all about and what he wants us to do. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. My favorite part of all that is that very end. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Because it doesn't matter what we do in all of this, whether it's difficult or not, he's going to be with us. And that's the promise that we have throughout all the difficulties, no matter what's going on in our life. He's going to be there with us. But what does he tell us to do? He tells us to go and make disciples, right? But who are we making disciples of? We're making disciples of all nations. Now it's not just the people around us. He says to go to all nations, Gentiles and everywhere. Um, so that's what we're supposed to do. Fill the earth with the disciples of Jesus, right? That's what he's called us to do. So what do disciples do? We're going to unpack this a little bit. What does leave the house actually mean? Leave the house. The idea behind that is that you need to go every day with intention. Be proactive and help people experience God for themselves, right? When you leave the house... Think about, how am I going to share Christ with someone today? How am I going to show the love of Christ today? Not just leave the house because you got to go to the grocery store. Well, yeah, i got to go to the grocery store, but who can I meet along the way, right? Um, so leave with intention. And one way that you can do this, this is an example of something that you can practically do, is invite somebody for a coffee or a dinner or a lunch or even just for a walk in the park. doesn't matter, right? And then ask them, two key questions, right? The first question is, how are you? How are you? You know, we want to love right Christ, right? So we want to show them that we care. And not just show them that we care, care, <laughs> right? Um, so how are you? But what is the response you normally get when you ask, hey, how are you? Fine, good, <laughs> yep. You usually don't get a whole lot of information, right? So the second question is, well, could you just tell me a little bit more about that? You know, get them to open up because they, you know, sometimes you say, how are you? Just as a passing, you don't really want to know, <laughs> right? You don't really want to know all of it. The, course, the thing is that we really want to know, right? We want to know what's going on in their life. And so we want to know more about it. But if people still don't open up or or in, in place of that, you could ask what we call the miracle question. All right, the miracle question, which is, if you could ask God for anything today, what would you ask him for? Now, it's, it's such a, a good question because it gets to the heart of where your concerns are. You know, if somebody's struggling with their health, this is going to be the top of their mind, and they're going to be asking for healing for that, Right? If somebody's struggling with finances, they're going to share that with you. If they're struggling in their marriage, they're going to tell that. And so this is just a way of finding out where they are, where they need healing, which leads us to that, uh, to that next part of healing the sick. We'll get there in a minute. 
But the first thing we need to do is announce the good news of the arrival of God, right? But what does that really mean, to announce the arrival of the kingdom of God? You can kind of paraphrase it in this way, that I believe God is here now and that he can help you right where you need it. So when you find out what that problem is that somebody's having, you can share with them, I know the person who is right here who can help you, right? I know that person. He is our Savior. And you can share that with them right then and there. Heal the sick. Heal the sick. When we find out what it is that is going on with them, whether it be like my back this morning, has been hurting me. I threw out my back this week, right? And when I was walking around here this morning, I was kind of feeling a little bit like this. And do you know what David did to me? We came up here and we prayed right here. He put his hand right on my back and he asked God to heal me, to make me feel better, to give me the strength to get through this. And I, I've been doing it, David. I appreciate that, buddy. Because you are demonstrating exactly what I was teaching today. Because healing the sick isn't that we have the power to heal the sick. Who has the power to heal the sick? Only God does, right? But what he gives us the privilege to do is to be an instrument for him. That we can pray for people and and let God work, right? So we're going to pray for God to heal them of whatever troubles them, whatever's on their mind, right? And all you got to do is say is, can I pray for you that God would help you and he would heal you? And I can tell you, 99% of people, if you ask them, could I pray for you that God would help you and heal you, they're going to say yes, whether they're a believer or not, right? If nothing else, it can't hurt, right? So they're going to allow you to pray for them. But here's a, a few suggestions. Number one, be brief. No need to, to get God on your side or impress God with your prayers. He can hear you. He's there with you, right? Be brief. The second thing is hold their hand, touch their shoulder. When David did it to me, he asked if he could put his hand on me. Perfect example of exactly what I was talking about, David. You put your hands on somebody, right? Number one, you can just let God kind of, his energy flow through you into them, right? But also that, show them that you care, right? Make that personal connection and touch. And then the third thing is just be aware of what God's doing in those moments. Sometimes we like to think about we're, we're always going to be reverent and close our eyes. But sometimes we miss what God's doing in that time. Nothing tells us that we've got to close our eyes when we pray, right? So once in a while, open your eyes, look around, look what God's doing during the middle of those prayers. And that way you can know how God's moving, and how you can continue that conversation afterwards. So then we come to our last point, make disciples. What does that mean? How do we make disciples? Well, let's look at that Great Commission one more time. Great Commission tells us, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven uh, and and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here, what do we see? He tells us to go and baptize. Uh, Making disciples means that we are going to baptize them, right? That's what it says. 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them, right? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we've got two things. Making disciples means that you baptize and you teach. Baptize and teach, all right? So what does that really mean? Baptizing them, as you all know, is just an outward sign of a personal decision that you make for Christ, right? So how are we going to do that? They need to make that personal decision first, right? So our job is to first lead them to Christ, right? Tell them about Christ. And what we found, and, and I believe it's, it's true, I know it was true in my life, and I think it's true in a majority of Christians' lives, that honestly we don't have any idea how to lead somebody to Christ. A recent survey said that two-thirds of all Christians don't know any method of sharing the gospel. And out of those one-third, 60% of them have not shared Christ in the last six months. How are we going to reach our community for Christ if we don't know how to share the gospel and we're not out there actively doing it, right? We got to get busy on that. But I can tell you, for, for me, for many years as a Christian, I wasn't out there sharing the gospel. And you know why? Because I didn't know what to say. You know, I mean, I could, I could kind of stumble my way through the gospel, um, but I was so scared I was going to mess it up, I just didn't want to. And Satan is going to come right behind you and encourage that kind of activity, that, that kind of mindset, right? So what we've started doing is is teaching a method of sharing the gospel and we're chewing it over and over and over and over again until it is second nature and then we're going to learn another one um, just so that you can make it personal but i want it to be and i think it should be for every christian that at the drop of a hat we can share the gospel with anyone without ever thinking about it right it should be like first on our lips and so we've got to practice right we got to practice. Like anything that you do well, you need to practice. <clears throat> so I don't know if you guys know the three circles method. How many here have, have heard of the three circles method? All right. Anybody ever used it? Got two. All right. Great. Um, well, I would like right now to show a video of this so that you can see what this is. All right. If it's something that you want to use, just, just go on YouTube and, and look it up. And, and you can learn how to do this for yourself. If you don't know the Lord, today is a great day to follow that example and repent, right? Um, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today, but if you, have, if you don't know the, the Lord personally, please come talk to me afterwards. I would love to talk to you about, more about that. Um, but this just happens to be the method that we're sharing right now um, with the guys, and they're, they're becoming more and more confident with it each time we do it. Um, I'll, be, I'll love to see how they're getting along when I get back because this is very very recent that we just started teaching all of this. <laughs> but the second thing, <coughs> sorry, I got a little cold. Um, so we baptize them, but the second thing is teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. But what is it that we teach? And this is where we had a problem where people didn't want to study the Bible together, right? But what we're going to teach is, number one, those four basic tasks, which is lead the house. Anybody remember? 
announce the, the good news of the arrival of the kingdom of God, heal the sick, make disciples, make disciples, there you go. Uh, so we're going to teach those four basic tasks. We're also going to help them learn how to share their testimony, like with the, uh, or how their testimony, because we want them to be able to share with people how God's changed them, right? And then number three, we want them to be able to share the gospel with someone, share their testimony while they're sharing their gospel. And number four is teach them how to teach others. And that's the other part of what we've been doing is, is teaching them how to teach others, how to lead Bible studies. And so what, the way we've been using it is discovery Bible studies. Um, if you've never heard of them, they're a great, very simple way of sharing the gospel or sharing the Bible together and studying it together. So it's a very simple. You read a Bible story together, you repeat it in your own words, ask them questions, and you pray together. Very simple. You don't need to have a pastor. You don't have to have a missionary. You don't have to have somebody who is well-trained in that situation. You just have to have somebody who's willing to facilitate it. And from that, you start, I don't know what you want to call it today. We've got so many names, a small group, life group, uh, connect group. It doesn't matter. Bible study. Just get people together. Get some people together. Get your neighbors together. Get, get anybody together who wants to experience God for themselves, right? And so you ask them, how did it go? How did it go from last week? What did you do? Uh, who did you tell? Because there's some accountability that goes along with it. And then what does it mean? What does this passage mean about God, his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his wrath? Um, or what does it mean about people or about, you know, our, our brokenness, our, our need for God? Um, you know, the, the things that we struggle with every day. What does it say about us? Oh, sorry. And then how am I going to obey it this week? All right. What am I learning in this passage and what am I going to do about it? All right. And specifically write down every week, this is what I'm going to do about this passage. Because if you don't write it down, it's like, well, you can just talk about it, but not do it, right? So write it down, and that way next week you can say, this is what I was supposed to do, and this is what I did, right? So there's accountability. And then who are you going to tell? Because making disciples is about telling others what you know. So if you just learned about it, then don't tell it to somebody else, right? Find a way to, to wrap it into your conversation in that week. When you leave the house with intention, leave it with the intention of telling them something that you learned from your Bible study this week, Okay. Very simple, Discovery Bible Studies, um, and it has been working very well. Um, but we're hoping to be able to start many of those groups this year as I work with individual leaders who are ready to do that in their homes and help them start that. So, what do disciples do? Just to recap, we leave the house, you announce the good news of the arrival of the kingdom of God, heal the sick, and make disciples, right? make disciples so that's it right very simple four basic tasks of a disciple the question is is how are we doing our task is to go and do the same thing go and do likewise right i want to just share with you guys before we finish that um, if you guys want to follow us if you don't already we're on facebook uh, it's called breaking chains and making disciples in ecuador so just look us up on Facebook and join our group there. You can sign up for our newsletter. Um, there is a uh, flyer on, in the vestibule on the back table back there that has a QR code. Just scan it with your camera, and it'll take you right to our, our sign-up page for our newsletter that we send out. Um, do that. Or we have some prayer cards back there and also on the table on the back door out here. 
Um, so just grab a, a, a new prayer card, um, and then you can become a partner with us, right? Uh, we are funded by individual churches, by uh, individuals, and so it's just a life of faith, and you can become a partner with us in financially. Um, but most importantly is becoming a partner with us in prayer. And, and before I leave, I know I'm already long, but I just feel like I need to share this. Um, just this part about praying, okay? Let me tell you just a little story about prayer. I, I told you guys that I had a heart attack in, in, uh, in April. Uh, I was on top of a mountain and had to be carried down about a mile by fire, firemen. But I, I thought we just had altitude sickness or I was just majorly out of shape or whatever. Just couldn't move. But these firemen carried me down, took me to a local hospital, and the local hospital said, yeah, it looks like dehydration, so they just gave me some fluids and sent me home. And so for two days, I was on the couch, couldn't move more than about seven or eight feet without being completely winded and, and having to sit down. Um, and this happened on Easter weekend, all right? And we had friends in town. And so we had all these ministries to do throughout the Easter weekend that we had going on. So I sat on the couch. Joel went and did all of our ministry stuff because I just said, you, I can't go, so you just go do that and, and, and drive Pastor Santiago where he needs to go and just take care of what needs to be taken care of. And then Sunday night, she finally came home after all the ministries were, were done, and we sent our uh, friends off. They were going to fly out early in the morning, so she said goodbye to them and came home to check on me. And then we went to the emergency room, and within 30 minutes... I was in surgery because they realized how serious it was. Um, um, my heart rate had got down to around 50. My uh, blood pressure was around was like 67 over 32 or something like that. But half of my heart really wasn't pumping at all. Um, and so after they put the stent in, the heart really wasn't responding. They opened it up, but the heart... They were afraid that the damage was done. And so my wife, who had been tasked with a prayer ministry at our church plant, started asking the entire world to pray for me. And I'm sure, I'm, I'm thinking most, of, or at least some of you here, knew about this and were praying for me. And I want to thank you so much. And I just want to give you a testimony of how those prayers work. Number one, I am standing here today and I am feeling great other than this cold in my back. But... As far as my heart is concerned, I'm feeling great. But they were, they were thinking I was going to have to have a pacemaker just to be able uh, for my heart to, to uh, be able to pump correctly. But as those prayers started rolling in, God waited to just the right moment for my heart to start picking back up so that the doctors would be amazed by it all. And so it started picking up. And then they said, well, okay, then we got to turn the medicine off, you know, to see if it'll maintain it because this medicine might have been keeping it up. And when they took it off, it did dip just a minute. And they're like, well, okay, it looks like we're going to have to add the pacemaker. And then the heart just started pumping up again just to surprise them all again. And they said, well, well you don't need a pacemaker. And let me tell you, the, the end of this story is, is my cardiologist, when right before I came to the U.S., he said, you got to see me before you come. You got to come see me because... Um, you were in bad shape, and I think you're going to have to see another cardiologist when you're in the U.S. Um, to make sure that everything's okay. He sent me to get an echocardiogram of my heart to see what was all going on, and it happened to be the same guy that did the echocardiogram on me in, in the emergency room. 
and both of them were jaws dropped. They said, I can tell you've had a heart attack, but just barely. And the way you came in here, lucky to be alive, I can't believe it. And it gave me an opportunity to praise the Lord and tell them exactly who it was that healed me. And it's through the prayers of, your, uh, of God's people, of you, it's the reason that I'm here today without a pacemaker and that I can stand up here and preach the Word of God. And so, just to tell you, prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. Thank you for those prayers. <clears throat> so you can partner with us in those ways. Uh, the last one, of course, is you can come. Come and, and work with us, right? So pray, give, or go. That's all I have for you guys today. I just want to uh, close with a, a small prayer, and then I'm going to have uh, uh, Pastor Don come and, and, and give an invitation on this, okay? Father God, thank you for my life. Thank you for this church. Thank you for um, the, the task that you've given us. Bless this church. Bless your people. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.